Turn to Leviticus 23, starting in chapter 39. If you'll bear with me, we'll read a little bit about some feasts in the Old Testament. It says, also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. Verse 40, and you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Verse 41, you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Verse 42, shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generation may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. Verse 44, so Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. My sermon title for today is this, Build a Booth. Build a Booth. You may be seated. One of my fondest memories of growing up was going on camping adventures and getting to sleep in a tent. Even if it started off in the backyard or in the living room, eventually in the great outdoors. How many of you have ever been camping by show of hands. I would expect the majority of us here today, but I need to clarify, as I should have with my wife while we were dating. How many have ever been camping, sleeping outdoors in a tent? While we were dating, we were sharing common interests, and I asked if she enjoyed camping, to which she quickly responded, yes, my family used to go camping almost every year growing up. Terrific. We got married. Not because of that one reason, but <laughs> we did get married. I brought up the idea one day of purchasing our very own tent and going on a camping trip, which she quickly replied, in a tent? Where did we go wrong? I said, babe, when we were dating, you told me that you went camping growing up all the time. And she said, we did in an RV. <laughs> My opening text in Leviticus 23, it could be compared to a seven-day tent camping trip. In addition to daily, weekly, and monthly worship in Leviticus 23, Moses, he gives some explanation and instructions for multiple religious festivals and celebrations for the children of Israel. If you follow through in uh, Leviticus 23, you'll see them listed there. There was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Next was the Feast of Fruits, the Harvest, the Feast of Pentecost. Next was the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. And finally was the Feast of Booths. 
I'd like to focus on that last one, that Feast of Booths, the seven-day celebration. It was also referenced in other texts and translations as the Festival of Booths, the Feast of Ingatherings, the Harvest Festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Weeks, and Sukkot. So during that feast, the seven days, the children of Israel, as we read in our opening text, they were instructed to leave their houses behind and to go outdoors and to dwell in booths, also called a sukkah. Those booths were very primitive in nature, handmade shelters made of the boughs of trees, particularly palm trees. Now, years ago, Atlanta West, we had a Boy Scout program here, Troop 610. If there's any people here today that would be witness of that, you were either a member or a leader of Troop 610, all scattered across the sanctuary today. At one particular summer camp, I took a wilderness survival course with a few guys from the church. Bo Johnson, Carl Franzen, Josh Austin, David Manley, and Jonathan Seche, from the best of our remembrance. As young teenagers, we were sent out one night to put into practice all the knowledge and skills that we, of course, had learned that week. We were sent out into the woods to build a booth, essentially, a temporary, primitive wilderness shelter and sleep in it all night long. Now, I remember doing more playing than building leading up to that evening and running out of daylight and having a cold, wet, miserable night. I think we did something like piling a bunch of leaves on top of us. Bo remembers the disturbing feeling of unknown, creepy, crawling things all over him in the dark. Carl remembers being supplied with a trash bag, a crude wind protector that didn't even come close to holding up. I sent a few texts this week to see if anybody remembered. And Josh Austin remembers getting dehydrated with nausea and vomiting, having to go to the medic station in the middle of the night. It was the worst of times, and it was the worst of times. No good times. But there was not much shelter or booth building that night, and there certainly wasn't any celebration or feasting going on. I can promise you that. As I previously listed, there are many festivals, many feasts, many celebrations for the children of Israel, and many rituals listed in the law and in Scripture. You're in your Bible reading plan. You're right in the middle of that at this moment. But while we do not follow every letter of that Old Testament ceremonial law, because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, there are some certain commandments and principles and application for the church today. And I want us to look a little closer at this Feast of Booths, to gather some insights that I believe the Lord has helped me to share and to strengthen and encourage our church today. The first thing that we must notice that the children of Israel were asked to build a booth for was to help them to remember the past. Moses, he wanted them to remember how God made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He clearly said again in Deuteronomy 6.12, Then beware, lest you forget. That the Lord, he brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God, he wanted his people 
to remember that he delivered them out of bondage from Egypt after 430 years. They were enslaved in Egypt with brutal slave drivers, whipping them, working them without mercy, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. Pharaoh was so evil, attempting to kill the next generation. There was great anguish and such cruel bondage that at one point, the children of Israel couldn't even hear or receive the word of the Lord through Moses because of a result of their suffering. It was so horrific. But because of God's covenant, because of his promises to them, because of his mercy, we read that God delivered them out of bondage. Now their lives were very bitter in Egypt, but God he wanted them to remember that he made their lives better. Amen. God wanted his people to remember how he was with them after they were delivered out of Egypt as well. Due to their lack of faith, they turned an 11-day trip into a 40-year journey. In the wilderness, they would be vulnerable, exposed to the elements, and they had to live in temporary shelters, which the Bible refers and references as boots. But while they wandered in the wilderness, God was always with them. He always provided for them. And this annual Feast of Booths, it was a special occasion and a reminder of just that. And church, we need moments where we take time to build a spiritual boot to help us remember the past. Because some of you, amen, were once in bondage. How many witnesses do I have? Some of you were captives, enslaved by sin and by addiction. Some of you have wandered through your own personal wilderness. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says it like this, and such were some of you. But thank God you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Church, we cannot afford to forget who God is and what he has done for us. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 to 25 says it clearly like this. We often read at communion. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also, he took that cup of suffering, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, and this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I love Psalms 103 and 2 who says it like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. The psalmist was the inspiration for a song that we used to sing. It says something like this. Jesus, I'll never forget. Amen. I'll never forget what you've done for me. I'll never forget how you set me free. I'll never forget how you brought me out, Jesus. I'll never forget. No, never. Amen. 
How many of you will let that be your prayer today that Jesus, I'll never forget. I'll never forget how you brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and you set my feet upon a rock, and you established my steps. Jesus, I'll never forget how you called me out of darkness into your marvelous light. Jesus, I'll never forget your mercy and your grace that while we were yet sinners, Lord, you died for us. It may not be a physical booth, but we need to commit to build a spiritual booth today to make sure we remember the past, to remember who God is and all that he has done. The second reason that we need to build a booth today is to serve as a reminder for the present, for right now. I had a, another unfortunate booth building experience about five years ago with the Georgia District Youth Ministries of the United Pentecostal Church to raise or inspired to raise more money for Move the Mission, our youth committee, agreed that once a particular goal was accomplished, we would spend two days and two nights in the wilderness, the Cahutta Wilderness in North Georgia to be exact. But the catch was we could have no tents, we could have no food, and very limited and primitive supplies. Now we should have had 11 members of our committee participate but somehow everyone ended up being busy or unavailable despite our advanced planning. Quite convenient for them. We ended up with three guys on that trip, Brother DJ Hill, Brother Zach Davey, and myself. Thankful for also Brother Ben was there. He stayed in a tent a little ways from us, but as a backup medic. And we appreciate him being on site. Our wives did as well. Now, if I would have done a good job of remembering my past and the Boy Scout Wilderness Survival Experience, I would have said no to this idea. It was a very long, difficult, and challenging experience, to say the least. And we did our very best to build a very primitive booth those few days. Now, I will say that final morning, when that experience was over, we drove as fast was safely possible to the nearest restaurant. It wasn't even a Waffle House. We settled for a Huddle House. And I will tell you, I ate one of the best breakfast meals of my entire life. When I got home, my bed never felt softer, and I took one of the greatest hot showers that I can remember today. But that's the thing about building a booth. It will change your perspective. It serves as an incredible reminder for the present. And as you can imagine, the seventh and the final day of the Feast of Booths was the greatest day of celebration for the children of Israel. That was the day they got to go back to their houses again. And I guarantee you, they had a renewed appreciation for the blessings in their lives. In the book, The Jewish Way, as Rabbi Irving Greenberg, he makes the point that the sukkah, or the booth, provides a corrective to the natural tendency of being coming excessively attached 
to turf. One commentator pointed out that it's good for those that have ease and plenty sometimes to learn what it is to endure hardness. The Feast of Booths, it brought insight to the children of Israel. It brought back perspective. It was a leveler of people, the wealthy, the poor. Everyone sleeps outside as equals. The Feast of Booths was also designed to celebrate and to give thanksgiving at the end of the harvest, fall harvest season. So when you build a spiritual booth, it can have a profound effect on your life and serve as a great reminder for the present. I think this is especially important for us, the North American church. I'm teaching our students this month about materialism. Our focus, our series is in God we trust which is one of the biggest challenges with the North American church. Understand that those in our country who would be considered lower class have significantly more than the average person around the world. According to a global study done by MarTech.com, U.S. companies spend the most of any country in the world on marketing with $1.4 trillion spent in 2021. The United States alone represents 40% of the entire global marketing spend. What does that say about our culture? I would say that many Americans are consumed with stuff, with materialism. Many crave that which appeals to the desires of the flesh. Materialism is defined as the preoccupation with or an emphasis on material objects, comforts, and considerations with a disinterest or a rejection of intellectual, cultural, and spiritual values. The church, more than any time before, we need to build a boot to fight the influence of our culture, to serve as a reminder for what truly matters most in the present. Amen? It's important to note right here that the children of Israel may not have had everything that they wanted, but God made sure that they had everything that they needed. Amen? There's a big difference between wants and needs. In life, there are only a few basic things that you really need to survive. It's a topic that's been debated in some circles over the years. This man, Abraham Maslow, he was a famous American psychologist, has a lot to say, but many agree with him that all you really need to survive is air, thank God for air, water, food, sleep, and shelter. If you're not careful, though, you can catch yourself, especially a teenagers, our children, saying, I need this, right? How many of you are guilty of saying that at one point or another? I need that. But in the big picture of life, most of what is called needs are really just wants, right? Like the story of Jacob and Esau in the Bible, when you are starving to death, all other things in life don't really seem to matter at that moment. God, help us to get our focus, amen, off of the desires of our flesh, the pleasures of this life, and onto what matters most, which is Jesus Christ, amen. 
Matthew 6, 25, it says it like this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 31, verse 31, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all, these are the things that the Gentiles, the unbelievers seek. Those without faith, those are the things that they think about, what dominates their minds, what they seek. He says, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But as the people of God, we are encouraged to seek first the kingdom of God, amen, and his righteousness. And then these things shall be added unto you, amen. If there was ever a day or a time for us to receive a reminder for what matters most in the present, it is right now. If there was ever a reminder, Reminder of laying up treasures in heaven, it is now. Amen. A reminder that we lay aside every weight that so easily besets us. As a people of God, we must have kingdom priorities. And if we do, if we seek God first, if we seek the immaterial, his kingdom and his righteousness, then God said, you know what? I will then take care of the material. I will take care. Your needs will be provided. God, help us to build a booth. In Matthew 19, we read the story of the rich ruler and ask Jesus what good deed he must do to have eternal life. And Jesus told him, just keep the commandments. And while it looked like this man truly loved and trusted God, he lists all the commandments that he had faithfully followed. Jesus got right to the point in Matthew 19, 21. He said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast. Give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And then you can come and follow me. But when that young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he, like many North Americans, had great possessions. Verse 23, then Jesus said unto his disciples, verily I say unto you, that a rich man should hardly enter into the kingdom of God. That rich ruler loved God. He was obeying many commandments, but because he was so attached to the material things of life, he could not give his all. He couldn't move past the things that he could see on this earth and onto the things that are unseen. And we are encouraged, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, those things are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. We need build a booth as a reminder for what truly matters most in the present. The third and final reason that we need to build a, a spiritual booth, and I'll bring some clarity to that in a moment, is because it has the power to redefine the future. It has the power to redefine the future. During the, the second temple period in the history of the children of Israel, there were a few additional celebrations that were added to Sukkot, the, the Feast of Booths. Each morning during the Feast of the Booths, the priests would come down from the temple 
And they would go down to the pool of Siloam, and they would hold a golden pitcher that the priest would draw water from the pool. Because it came from a spring, it's considered and mentioned in commentary that it was living water flowing from a spring, and it was used for ritual purification. That priest would take the pitcher of living water, and he would return back to the temple. And there he would circle the altar, and then the priest would pour out the water on the altar of sacrifice. Now keep in mind, the Feast of Booths had been taking place for hundreds and hundreds of years, dating back to around 1250 B.C. to the time of Jesus. And while important and impactful, most thought that this would be like any other final day of the Feast of Booths. We rejoice, we celebrate, and we get to go home. But this day would be different because Jesus Christ was present. On this final day of the Feast of Booths in the New Testament, Jesus gets up and he makes a, he makes a special proclamation. Now, we don't know when in the day that he spoke on that final day. We do know it's the final day. But as one commentary said, we can have little difficulty in determining at what part of that service Jesus stood up and spoke. Quite possibly, as the priest was pouring out that living water from the pool of Siloam onto the sacrifice on the altar, we read John 7, 37, and Jesus, he stood and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Wow, but he spoke this concerning the spirit, the Bible says, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Isn't God amazing? His timing, perfect. He knows all things. He does all things well. On a week that urges the people of God to rightfully remember the past. On a week that, that brings a reminder of what matters most in the present. There was a message of hope that would redefine their future. The one whom that very feast and festival was about was there in front of them. God manifested in the flesh. And as he always is, God was true to those words that he spoke in John 7 on that final day of the Feast of Booths. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus also said, Behold, I send that promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued from power from on high. We read in Acts 2, 4, when that promise that was given on the day of booths and many times before was fulfilled because they were all filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, 4. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the ability. Amen. 
And we celebrate, as Pastor mentioned today, that wonderful news about this promise that Peter shared, how to receive the Holy Spirit, that that promise wasn't just for those in the New Testament. It wasn't just for those that Jesus spoke to on that final days of the booths, but it was a promise that extends to us today. Amen. Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. Aren't you thankful for that promise? It's for your children. And it's for those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. If you will take the time to build a booth today, it has the power to redefine your future. As we look back to our opening text in, in Leviticus 23, I want us to notice verse 40. You shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, Branches of palm trees, the, the boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook. And ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God for those seven days. Now yes, the people could rejoice because God delivered their descendants out of Egypt. And he provided for their descendants in the wilderness. That was a reason to rejoice. But the greatest reason to rejoice that they had was given just five days before the Feast of Booths. If you look at that Jewish calendar, just five days, less than one week, was a celebration of something called the Day of Atonement. This was the one day of the year that the high priest could enter into the holies of holies of the tabernacle, symbolically taking Israel into the presence of the Lord. After the priest would offer a sacrifice, Israel as a nation would be forgiven of past sins. With that fresh perspective and understanding, that's why the people had no problem but those seven days to rejoice and give thanksgiving to God. But what was offered to just the children of Israel once a year, thank God, is now available for all people at any time, anywhere, because of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus came as that high priest, and with his blood that he shed on the cross, it was a propitiation for our sins. It was so that we could obtain eternal redemption, so that we could obtain salvation. And hear me today, there has been reason to rejoice from that first feast until one final feast takes place between a redeemed church and Jesus Christ in heaven. We read about this feast in Revelation 19. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has finally come. And his wife, the church, has made herself ready. And verse says, in it, to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And finally, in verse 9, then he said to me, Write, 
Blessed are those who are called to that feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Amen, church. We've got a lot to be thankful for because of that high priest, because of the sacrifice that he made for us that extends hope and salvation for our sins to us and to all the world. Amen.